so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. I thought about as Megan's. Oh, one second. Our garage is going up and it's really loud. Uh, what? <laughs> I thought you were being attacked by space aliens. Shuttle, yeah, space shuttle's <laughs> landing. That's our garage <laughs> because it's right. Our, our room is right above our garage. That was really funny. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the URLC Podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the URLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today, as always, are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello from sunny Nashville. Sunny Nashville. And Brent Leatherwood. Hello from the 2020 Christmas season. That's what I'm talking about. 2020 yeah. Christmas season. So I mean, we, you're we getting to know Labor Brent. Day. Yeah, no. we passed Labor Day. It, it, <laughs> It's Hobby Lobby it's, was decorated a month ago for Christmas. So it's we're deep into Christmas season by now. Uh, yes. It's so, 90 so. degrees outside. It's not it's not even fall yet. Right. So stay inside and decorate your tree. Our listeners need to know that uh, one thing about Brent Leatherwood is that for him, the Christmas season begins sometime right after the beginning of July. And uh, now that we have, you know, crossed the Labor Day threshold, he is all Christmas all the time. And uh, it's only a shame that we're not regularly in our offices together so that we can, you know, smell his Christmas scented candles and all, all the rest. So, <laughs> But I wouldn't be surprised if 2020 found a way to cancel the Christmas season. Not the reason oh. for the season, but the like some of the celebrations. The holiday cheer. Yeah, that would be a very 2020 thing. Also in this episode, uh, we are going to do something different today. Instead of having an interview, we actually have, I don't know what to call her, Podcast Ninja, uh, but we have Megan Smith with us uh, right now, and she's just going to be hanging out with us through the episode. I don't know if she'll have much to say until we get to the big conversation. But when this podcast releases Friday, that marks the six-month mark since the day when everything really shut down uh, in the United States, which was on March 11th, which was that epic day where there was this big spiral. And we'll talk more about it later. But anyway, we're going to just kind of do a, a reflection, talking to each other about uh, what we've learned across the last six months. But so that we can get into it, Lindsay, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Okay, so this week on our site and on social media, you might notice that we have an emphasis on civility or what president of the ERLC, Russell Moore, likes to refer to as more like convictional kindness. And so we wanted to highlight this. We have some resources coming out. So we put some articles on our site. And one of them that's my favorite from this week uh, is by Catherine Parks, who is a great writer. She's got several books out and several books for young girls and young boys about men and women who have lived profound lives for Christ. So, but she has an article that's titled, Are We Teaching Our Children Civility with Our Lives? Putting Ourselves in Another's Shoes. And this all stemmed from uh, when she was watching her local school board meeting, which I'm sure 
<laughs> brings out the best in almost anyone. But uh, she just kind of thought in her mind and said out loud, oh, my word, I can't believe these people. What a joke. But then she was immediately convicted about what she was modeling for her children because they were there, uh, right there, sitting next to her. And she goes on in the article to explain that in our words and in our actions, how we treat people models for our children what we think about people. And it models kindness or it models really hatred. It models valuing God's image in people or it models thinking or showing favoritism, showing that some are better than others. So so she calls us to to show our kids a better way. And she gives us some some questions to use to check our own hearts, which I think are really helpful. But overall, this is just a great article that doesn't just apply to our children, but that applies to everyone that's watching us on a daily basis. This is a really good piece. Um, Catherine Parks is one of my favorite people on the planet. And I saw uh, tons of people, though, sharing this article yesterday on social media. People that, you know, just just randomly, not people I know or anything, but just, just randomly sharing this across uh, both Facebook and Twitter. And as I was looking at that, it just, it just occurred to me that some of our, you know, the most important material we put out at the RLC is about uh, equipping parents to teach their children uh, about, you know, complex topics in life. And so something like civility, where we're talking about a thing that that has to do with both politics and just how we live our lives in the public square. Uh, that's not something necessarily that we're thinking about, especially with our young children, how to teach and form them. Uh, but it's an important thing to, to think about, it, especially starting at an early age. And so that's, you know, that's why I would commend this article to other people. Obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people have already found it helpful, but because it is, it's really good. Well, and what a what a great moment for this piece to land. Because now, traditionally, after Labor Day in the political arena in an election year, that is when most Americans are starting to really pay attention uh, to the upcoming election. And this is a moment for parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, mentors out there of children to really model constructive behavior <laughs> as you are engaging a highly contentious moment in our in our culture. Uh, so I, I think this word from uh, Catherine is is really helpful and will only increase in how helpful uh, it is in the coming weeks as we get closer to election day and more and more things are talked about in the news, uh, on social media. It is vitally important that not only we remember uh, kind of, uh, how we uh, should interact, what the Bible calls us to, with our fellow Americans, but also the the witness uh, that uh, that we are creating for uh, little eyes and little ears uh, that are watching us. Right, and to not only model, but as I said earlier, to check our own hearts in the midst of this season. Because if we're modeling something other, well, if we're modeling incivility, it's because we've got a heart problem there. Uh, and so it was just a good reminder for me as well. So I would encourage you to check that out. Moving on, this past Monday was Labor Day, which I always appreciate getting a day off in order to celebrate labor. <laughs> it's kind of funny and ironic, but I'm thankful for it. And we- Lindsay, you appreciate getting a day off for any reason. 
anytime. I, I'm all about rest. You know, the Lord rested on the seventh day. So, uh, and I really appreciate you making that spiritual. That was just perfect. (laughs) But I worked at home. I did a bunch of stuff around the house that I wasn't able, that I'm not able to get done on a regular basis, but I wanted to just highlight our friend and former colleague, Dan Darling, who made a guest appearance on our site with five things that he learned about work from working remote. So he just was reflecting on these past, as Josh mentioned, almost six months working from home and uh, just mentioned some of the things that the Lord has brought to his mind. For instance, just learning to be grateful for work, learning to be flexible, learning to appreciate the value of work itself, especially in the midst of a time when so many people have lost their jobs, learning about margin And probably most importantly, and what many of us are learning in this season is learning to appreciate the preciousness of embodied relationships. Now, all the introverts out there are saying, no way. I'm glad to see people on Zoom and have my own space. Shout out to Gary, our audio engineer. But a lot of people are really struggling with not being able to be face-to-face, whether it comes to church or whatever else it might be. And so I thought these were really helpful lessons from Dan. Um, and as always, he points our eyes back to the Lord and and helps us develop a heart of gratitude toward him. That was a smooth move, taking a shot at Gary when he controls the audio fate. He <laughs> knows he's an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, that that's that's actually what I wanted to say is like even in this season, though, some of us may be more introverted than others. Uh, we still need community. I mean, the Bible recognizes that and calls us to community. And and so this has been uh, a tough season, whether you're extroverted or not. Um, and and so I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, our churches or our small groups are, are making opportunities for us to, to have community. And, you know, Dan is is always a, a great voice uh, when it comes to building community and the value of uh, community. So I was uh, I was really happy to see him contribute this piece for us this week. You know, he also does really well at modeling civility. So shout out to you, Dan, for that as well on social media. You have a very balanced, helpful voice. Um, so, he and really finally, does. That's also his Enneagram 9 coming out. You know, he just, he loves to just hug both sides of any issue and just, you know, he, he just has so much compassion in his heart. He just can't. Maybe it's just his godliness, Josh. Maybe, maybe that's what Enneagram number. <laughs> and our final article that I wanted to highlight this week is by our colleague in D.C., Jeff Pickering, and he wrote an article about how his church has been creative in this time uh, when there have been restrictions, and specifically his church has been meeting outdoors. And he writes this article to tell us why he's looked forward to church outside during COVID-19, and it's really a great reflection on just how Sundays, even though they've been different, they've been something that he he has looked forward to. They've been ways that meeting outside has provided his church opportunities to minister to people that they normally wouldn't be able to. It's provided him a greater appreciation for his uh, leadership, his church leadership. And then it's taught him how disruptions are actually opportunities from the Lord, to trust the Lord, to put our hope in him to find our joy in Him and to see how He's working around us. So I would encourage you, go to ERLC.com and just read this reflection and let the Lord use it to encourage you that even in these strange times, uh, we know that the Lord is still at work and that He's still on His throne. 
You know, I this resonated with me because church has been so different for us uh, just this past weekend for the first time in months. Uh, my wife and I were able to get together with our small group, uh, in a, in a local park here. And it was just a, a good reminder of, uh, of what we've been missing, uh, in the season that, that meeting virtually just, uh, cannot, uh, recreate, even though I am thankful, uh, that we do have that technology, uh, to, to still participate in worship with, with our church. But, uh, you know, this, this is right. Jeff's got the exact right heart. Uh, there's a number of Christians around the country that are still unable uh, to meet, and I am hopeful that we embrace the ways that uh, the unique ways that maybe we can, uh, but at the same time, long for actual corporate gathering in a you know Hebrews ten fashion. We are made for community and relationships, and so good when we get we're able to participate in them again in the midst of this challenging season. So again, we have a lot of great resources on our site. We have a lot more that have to do with civility, so I'd encourage you to check those out. But for now, Brent and Josh, that's your look at what's happening at ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us to the culture section for the week. So Brent, tell us what's going on. Well, we begin this week out west where wildfires are raging. So according to the news outlet San Francisco Gate, fires are currently burning in California in Mendocino County and Chico, and they are generating copious, copious, I like that word, copious amounts of smoke. Fires are also burning in the Pacific Northwest across Oregon and Washington. In fact, Oregon Governor Kate Brown declared a statewide emergency on Tuesday. Thankfully, some fires that had started, uh, I think, at the beginning of of last week that had uh, made a lot of news in North Bay and in East Bay, and then there's a a Woodward fire in Marin County, are now all uh, in the process of being contained, uh, which is great news for believers uh, and folks in California. I was talking to a few pastors this week out in California, making sure that uh, their churches are not uh, endangered by these fires, and thankfully, uh, that that has not been the case, at least with the folks that I spoke with. But overall, there are more than 90 major fires that have burned more than 5,300 square miles. To put that in perspective, that is almost the size of the state of Connecticut, and it's raging across 13 western states, according to account by the National Fire Information Center. Unfortunately, seven people are confirmed to have died, uh, reports the USA Today. So, you know, y'all, a a couple weeks ago, we were talking about a major hurricane hitting the Gulf Coast, and now we're talking about record wildfires across the West. I I guess it's it's just that season. It does seem like this kind of typically happens in the late summer uh, each year. But one thing that was pretty remarkable, I don't know if y'all saw this, on Twitter, residents of uh, San Francisco and Oakland were sharing images of the kind of apocalyptic, eerie, early morning orange light uh, over those two cities. And uh, that was pretty scary. Yeah, it was totally unsettling. I saw a lot of those uh, pictures being shared on social media. Uh, Just the orange glow that is, uh, you know, capturing San Francisco right now. And if you look at pictures of the 
the skyline or even from the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, it's just unbelievable to see the damage that's going on there. I saw somebody on Twitter. This was uh, they they dropped a an orange filter over the Full House theme and theme song and said if Full House were made today, and so you could just see you know they're riding in their convertible and then everything is orange. And I mean, honestly, that's what it looks like out there right now. It is so uh, devastating. And honestly, as a Christian, what it makes me think about the fact that. We live in an age in a world that that craves and prizes uh, security, but there is no, you know, th- there's no amount of money, there's no place you can be, there's no thing you can do that's going to totally, uh, you know, separate you or ensure that you are safe from even the, the, these violent acts of nature. And so, as a Christian, it reminds me that that the only place uh, where there is true security is is in God. Uh, as opposed to you know thinking that you can you can amass it by you know taking whatever precautions you might want to take, uh, it really doesn't matter where you are. There is not a place where you can go to find that kind of perfect security. Yes, and that that security in the Lord isn't something that's promised here and now as far as physical safety, but that we know that in Christ, our eternal safety is secure, and that one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth that uh, will not have scary fires like this and and pandemics. And I can't wait for that day. I heard my husband on a video call talking to another coworker and mentioning another friend of theirs out in Oregon that their parents had uh, evacuated and then their whole house burned down like 10 minutes later. So I just, it's just so unpredictable and so scary. And our, yeah, my heart just goes out to those people who are, who are wrestling in the midst of this. That's right. And and those uh, three states in particular, California, Oregon, and, and Washington, I mean, they, they've they had to deal with so much in the midst of this pandemic. They, you know, that was the initial uh, region of the country where uh, COVID started. So, I mean, the fact they've had to wrestle with that and just everything stemming from that and, and now having to deal with this, you know, we've got a number of listeners uh, that listen to the podcast from that area and uh, our hearts and prayers uh, especially go out to you right now. One really amazing thing that I saw a uh, story floating around was that the California National Guard, apparently there were uh, some something like 200 people that were trapped uh, and encircled by the flames and were, you know, the firefighters that were there thought that it was just, uh, they were unable to get to these people, but risking their own lives and safety, apparently the California National Guard through helicopters was able to go in and rescue all of the people who were trapped there and, and bring them to safety. And I mean, it's just, it is, you know, you think about all the people who are affected by this and our heart goes out to them, but also all the people who are right now serving to try to combat these flames to keep people safe. Pray for them as well, certainly, because uh, stories like this are just, you know, a fraction of the kind of just heroic action that these guys are, are taking right now uh, to try to save people's lives. All right. Elsewhere, uh, look, folks will know that the work of the RLC, oftentimes we do uh, a lot of stuff focused on uh, human dignity and religious liberty. And sometimes we really focus on international religious liberty. And a few weeks ago, uh, we were emphasizing the plight of Uyghur Muslims uh, over in China. Well, there was a cultural news item this week that related specifically to that, and it came from, of all places, Disney. So Disney dropped their newest movie, a live-action version of Mulan, which was originally a, a cartoon movie, Well, they made it live action, and it's about the story of a girl who becomes a warrior in ancient China. Well, it stirred quite a bit of talk 
just not necessarily the kind that maybe Disney was anticipating. The Washington Post reports that the film's closing credits offer, quote, special thanks to eight political entities in China, including four propaganda departments and a public security bureau in the far western region of Xinjiang for assistance in the shooting of the films. So, as I was talking about, we've had a China webinar featuring Dr. Moore and other religious liberty advocates uh, for Uyghur Muslims. And uh, we were concentrating specifically on what the Chinese Communist Party is is perpetrating against uh, these people. It's, I mean, there's no way around it. It's ethnic cleansing uh, in that area. And many voices have picked up right along that theme and have decried the movie and called for a global boycott of uh, this film. Yeah, it seems so uh, ironic that this is where it was filmed and in light of the work that we've been highlighting and, and highlighting the persecution of the Uyghur Muslims and can't help but think maybe it's just the Lord's way of bringing attention to this people group that is persecuted because, again— we don't have the same theological beliefs, but these people are indeed created by God, made in His image, and deserve to be treated as such. And so, yeah, I'm thankful that—truly, I'm thankful that the ERLC has been covering this because I'm not sure how aware of this I would be. And um, the connection with Disney and Mulan, I'm not sure how aware. So I, I am thankful that uh, that DC and many others, our DC team and many others have been doing the work to highlight this plight of the Uyghur Muslims and to call for um, their just and their fair treatment and to call out the Chinese Communist Party. I don't want to watch the movie, but I kind of do want to watch it just because it's one of the live action films, but I feel like I shouldn't because of <laughs> what has happened in the filming of it. There's just so much going on here. I mean, this whole story is really multifaceted because on the on the one hand, we're looking at what's going on there with the persecution of Uyghur Muslims in China, which is awful. And we've been trying to draw attention to that for a long time. It's a human rights crisis. It is a religious liberty crisis. And it is just violent, brutal, wicked oppression at the hands of the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party. As a Southern Baptist, you know, we're we're famous for having boycotted Disney in the past. Well, now we're looking at a situation where Disney, uh, only uh, Disney very recently uh, announced that they were potentially going to stop making movies in the state of Georgia over pro-life legislation that was being considered in that state. And now we're looking at the same company, the same multi-billion dollar corporation deciding to make a movie in a very in a place where fundamental human rights are being suppressed where uh, and, and violated where human beings are being put in internment camps and uh, potentially where genocide is being perpetrated and so looking at all of those different factors shows you how complicated this situation really is but it, to distill it down what we really want to say is that human life matters and is valuable and that that's the message uh, that that we should take to China. It's the message that we should take to Disney. And it, this backdrop of this movie, Milan, is actually you know drawing attention to a human rights crisis and hopefully elevating the importance of one of the fundamental things we believe, which is that every life is sacred. That's a good word. And it, it reminds me of two things. One, uh, we've been uh, consistent in, in pointing people towards the fact that America needs to oppose China morally. Uh, that was what Dr. Moore laid out last 
fall, almost a year ago now, in his Wall Street Journal op-ed about this very issue. And we've continued to highlight it amongst other areas of uh, concern globally uh, as it relates to persecution. But then there was a, I wish I had flagged it uh, because it was a really salient point. This should cause us to rethink assigning kind of moral clarity to corporate actors because you just get these inherent conflicts because just like you pointed out, Josh, Disney is saying, oh, well, we can't film in Georgia, but you can go film in this place where ethnic cleansing is taking place in China. Come on, man. Uh, So uh, that's, uh, I just thought that was a great point. And again, this is where Christians are called to step in and lead. And the church uh, is called to step in and lead and model the way forward in a consistent fashion. So on the coronavirus front, uh, an underreported downside of the virus is how it has masked our nation's continued struggle with opioid abuse, reports the Wall Street Journal in what I thought was a really uh, helpful piece. From the article, it says, the pandemic has destabilized people trying to maintain sobriety or who are struggling with addiction during a time of increased social isolation and stress, according to treatment providers and public health authorities. In a survey of U.S. adults released by uh, the CDC, 13% of respondents in June said they had started or increased substance use to deal with stress or emotions related to COVID-19. I mean, just really, this was a a deflating report, but it's a needed one. We need to be reminded of people who have been rendered vulnerable uh, in this season. And uh, gosh, it was, it was it was discouraging, no doubt about it. In my family, we have serious addiction issues, and um, they oftentimes uh, don't make sense and thrive in isolation. And when has there been a more isolated time in the history of, in modern day history than now during the pandemic, where when you can't help but be isolated? So it's just a reminder to us to check in with our friends and family, check in with our neighbors, those who are around us, check in with our church members, because a lot of times you never know who it is that's struggling with addiction. It's not just the the man living on the on the streets, it could be the teacher, you know, who is struggling with coping uh, with the new way of school or whatever it might be. So we need to be we need to be thinking beyond our own small units, you know, and and reaching out to those around us. That's right. And and look, the the news has rightfully focused on on those who have lost their lives because of the virus, but but we cannot forget those who you know, may succumb to what are kind of known as these deaths of despair, uh, because those are equally as heartbreaking. And, um, and you're right, Lindsay, that's, that's how we as Christians, especially, uh, can connect with those who might be in those vulnerable situations. All right, well, so we got some good news out of New York this week. So if you live in New York, this is a positive development. New York City will allow indoor dining at restaurants at a limited capacity starting on September 30th, according to the governor. It lifts a six-month ban aimed at stemming the spread of coronavirus. Indoor dining had been one of the few remaining business activities awaiting approval to resume since the city began a phased reopening of its economy in June, reports the New York Times. So, hey, 
just a little bit longer if you're in New York City, which obviously has seen <laughs> tremendous issues with uh, coronavirus. Uh, this is this is some good news to, you know, quote our former colleague, Dan Darling. However, there, there have been uh, some setbacks, so we can't, uh, can't just gloss over them. West Virginia University, which I've always wondered, why aren't they the University of West Virginia? But maybe that's just me. Well, anyways, WVU becomes the latest major university uh, to backtrack on in-person classes for students, according to CNN. They announced on Monday they were moving undergraduate classes online after seeing a recent spike in COVID-19 cases after the occurrence of several parties over the weekend at school. Those, those social gatherings will get you every time. Those college kids. Hey, maybe it's because WVU rolls off the tongue better than UWV. I think it's just because you've been conditioned to, uh, to say that. But Just say it. WVU. UWV. It kind of works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just go with UWV. Maybe, maybe that would... I don't Perhaps. Know. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, I know this next part is going to make you really excited. So while WVU is going backwards, the Olympics are moving forward. According to First Post, a sports website, Tokyo's postponed Olympics from this summer will go ahead next year, regardless of the coronavirus pandemic. IOC Vice President John Coates uh, said on Monday, vowing that they will be the games that conquered COVID. Man. That's a, some pretty strong statements Is that a there. new Olympic sport or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Well, so the Olympics have never been canceled outside of the two world wars. And Coates was adamant that the Tokyo Games will start on their revised date. And if you remember when we talked about this earlier, this late spring, I, I guess, uh, when, when they made the decision to postpone them, when they get postponed to the summer of 2021, they still will be called the 2020 Olympic Games. So I guess that means that the subsequent years will be will remain on track. So 2024 will be our next. Yeah. I, so really I what you're so. getting is back-to-back years of Olympics then. Which is right? awesome. Th- that is awesome. And honestly, I'm a fan of just making that a permanent thing. Like, let's just, let's just give me the Olympics each summer and each winter, and I'll be a happy man. Between the Olympics and the World Cup, like that, that's my, you know, those are some of my favorite things. And so, yeah, I mean, more world uh, sports competitions, that's a better thing. That's right. Well, we're going to go from football to football uh, because that's what. Uh, <laughs> oh, my word. Because that, that joke alert. That is, Very nicely done. <laughs> that is, that is the other thing uh, that is moving ahead. The NFL. So the first games are this week, y'all. Are you uh, ready for some football? Thanks, Carrie. So here's what to <laughs> expect, according to Adam Kilgore, writing in the Washington Post. Quote, the mayhem of the sideline will be replaced by a sparse smattering of players and coaches who, like on-field officials, will be wearing masks. You will also see electronic whistles. Cheerleaders, mascots, and jersey swaps, however, are out. Crowd noise will be piped in by audio mixers, and footballs will be rinsed with chemicals between plays. uh, uh. Uh, Only six teams are actually going to allow fans in week one, and none will surpass the 25% guideline. So uh, so teams like uh, the Browns will only have 10% of the stadium full. 
uh, or the Dolphins. Well, we have 20%. Down in Lindsay's hometown, the Jags, they're going all in. 25% is uh, what if, you'll see. If they can hit t- 25% to uh-huh. actually come into the stadium. We haven't been so great. Hey, I do have a question. Is the first game, we're recording this on a Thursday, so is the first game tonight, Thursday, and then is it on one of the major stations? Well, that's right. It is Thursday night, and by the time this drops, people will know <laughs> People will know the final score who won uh, between the first game uh, between uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the reigning world champions, and the Houston Texans. Uh, So that that will have been played on NBC. So, yes, we people who will be listening to this in the future will will know the outcome of the first NFL game. But the reality is, Josh, America needs this, right? That's right, Brent. America needs football. There you go. All right. Profound, profound. You know what I think you need, Lindsay? So this is this is what we'll wrap with. You know what I think you need? I think you need a she shed. A she shed. What's a she shed, Brent? Tell us. <laughs> it's a shed for she's. <laughs> a shed for she's. <laughs> it's the opposite of a man cave. Is it the opposite? Or is yes. it the compliment? Uh, well... A man cave, a man gets a man cave, a female gets a she shed. Or gotcha. as our colleague calls calls it, he has a he desk <laughs> in his house. <laughs> it's less a he desk and more a table in his living room. <laughs> yes, yeah. but he calls it a he desk. <laughs> All right. Well, the reason I bring that up is because this week the USA Today profiled different people from across the country who do have their own unique workspaces, including she sheds. And our very own Julie Masson uh, at the ERLC. She was featured in the piece. How cool is that? I know. Our uh, very so, own influencer. That's right. Well, that's she was found on Instagram. Yeah, which is for, for crazy. This, this story. So I mean, I guess I guess she is kind of a influencer in that sense. All right. Well, so the USA Today reports as the COVID-19 crisis enters its sixth month. An increasing number of Americans are buying and building backyard sheds to use as home offices. And so Julie goes into a little bit of her experience, and then they use her her quote to actually close out the piece. She talked about the routine that she ends her day with. She said, quote, I have this routine at the end of my day where I lower my standing desk, I shut the shades, I turn off my air conditioner, I turn off the lights, I lock my door. And I commute home, which is just a few steps away. Because <laughs> it's a she shed That's in her great, backyard. Julie. Yeah. I love it. And they were able to build their she shed, her husband, and they had some other people helping uh, for a fraction of the cost of what other people spend on their she shed. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking for tips, find Julie on Instagram. Make her the next, the next big thing in she sheds. She will, she will let you know. About her she shed and the the virtue of having a she shed. It has been a saga. And uh, <laughs> this kind of just puts a bow on top of this <laughs> epic run toward Julie amassing this she shed fiefdom. There you go. All right. Well, so Lindsay and Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. If you're like most pastors, church leaders, or ministry staff members, you've probably faced difficult questions about hiring. 
Protecting your church or ministry from sexual abuse is an important concern, and one of the best ways to do that is through effective hiring and screening practices. But most people aren't sure where to begin or what questions they should ask during the hiring process. That's where the Caring Well Hiring Guide comes in. This brand new resource provides a starting point for church leaders who are now working to implement effective hiring and screening practices to help prevent future abuse. You can download your free copy now at caringwell.com slash hiring. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, for, for today's episode, instead of doing what we normally do, which would be to you know interview somebody from some part of evangelicalism or Southern Baptist life or, or from wherever, uh, instead of doing that today, what we're going to do is kind of just a roundtable discussion. Uh, as we were thinking about the show this week, we realized that this Friday marks the six-month mark since March 11th, which was the day where it felt like the whole country came to just a grinding halt when we realized that coronavirus was going to be be something that affected our lives uh, much more drastically than many of us had anticipated before that. And so thinking back on the last six months, hopefully this is something that we will only ever experience one time in our lives. And, you know, in light of that, we just wanted to take a few minutes to just kind of talk through what the last six months have been like, what it, what it has been like to spend half a year in this very unique time, not only just in American life, but across the globe. And so as we're thinking about those things, I just came up with a list of questions that I'm going to kind of pose to uh, Brent and Lindsay and Megan. We're just going to kick this around for a few minutes. So to start here, guys, I guess, what has been like the most positive surprise that has come out of the last six months? Megan joining the podcast team. Okay, I'll add that to my list, I guess. No, absolutely. You've been you've been such a uh, helpful addition to the team, particularly for me, because you 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 construct the cultural roundup options for us to choose from, and and so uh, I'm personally just really thankful that you're on the team. So that's a really positive development in my book. Well, great. I think the most surprising positive thing for me has been how I've been able to reconnect with like friends that I even don't see often, even before quarantine, like friends that I just wouldn't, would only see like maybe once or twice a year. I now talk to them on various platforms, like weekly or even daily. And because of quarantine, it's been like, oh, we can do this. We can talk. We can use all these different platforms to keep up. And that's been really positive. I have like an ongoing weekly porch hangout um, with some high school actually elementary school friends. Um, And that would have never happened if we hadn't, some of us lost our jobs or kind of lost some hours and been isolated, which has been really cool. Yeah, I can echo the the same thing for me, honestly. It's been strange that as our lives shut down for a while, uh, it became normal to talk to people over Zoom or over FaceTime or over Skype or, or whatever. And that didn't just include the people that you were already seeing daily. Then it was a normal thing for us to connect with people or for me to connect with friends that I wasn't talking to regularly uh, because I didn't feel weird about saying, hey, do you want to schedule a Zoom call or whatever? And then it was just a, a way for me to connect with a lot of people. So that's that's really cool. Several things for me. The slower pace has been really nice and made me think about when things return back to normal. What do I want our lives to look like? Um, Also, having my husband work at home, it reminds me of the time when the center of the economic activity was out of the home. And so husband, wife, kids weren't so separated. So now we're all just in the same 
place. And it's just nice to be able to see him whenever I want, to interrupt his work, to annoy him a little bit or whatever it might be. He gets to see his daughter a little bit more. And so we realize that we'll be able to look back on this season and call it a gift because it's so different when he's going back into the office. And then finally, a pleasant surprise of a quarantine baby. Uh, so yeah, quarantine baby due in January. I think we found out right around the time quarantine was happening, or no, maybe a month after or something. I don't remember. And the quarantine baby who turns out to be a boy, which is the yeah. biggest shocker yes. of all because I know it's a 50-50 chance, but it just did not seem possible to me. <laughs> I thought girls for sure. But um, anyway, so that's a big surprise during the quarantine. I would absolutely agree with what you were saying about the kind of slower pace, uh, particularly on the home front. I mean, I think it's interesting that basically you're saying the Nicolay household has turned uh, into Little House on the Prairie. So that's that's great. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I think Meredith and I have talked about when, when and, you know, whenever things do get back to some sort of normalcy, what will we add back in to keep – uh, more of a, a, a slower pace uh, that has been a welcome uh, change from the craziness of life uh, prior to pandemic times. You know, we've experienced or thought about a lot of the same things. And Lindsay, what you were saying about just being able to see the you know, for Justin to be able to see Marion, uh, even on his breaks, that has been a wonderful thing for me working from home, being able to, instead of, you know, take breaks, just kind of walking around the office, uh, to be able to, you know, see my kids and just take them outside for just a few minutes to, to throw a ball or to watch them, uh, ride their bikes or, or, you know, their wiggle rides in the, in the garage. It's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun, uh, doing that during the season, switching gears. Then what's been for you guys, the hardest adjustment that you've had to make during the season? I mean, in the Leatherwood household, I mean, especially last spring, the the quick turnaround to online learning for our our three kids, which you know, for our our youngest, it was, I mean, basically <laughs> useless uh, because he's, I mean, he's in a pre K. Uh, period. So I mean, it just trying to get a three year old uh, and then turn into a four year old uh, focus uh, on a computer screen for multiple hours in a day like that just that that was neither helpful uh, nor actually useful. Um, but navigating that, uh, we're really thankful that our school was able to pivot. Uh, fairly efficiently uh, to that sort of environment, but still navigating it as a parent from home while uh, both of us were working. Uh, that that was that was difficult to say the least. Trying to live up to Gary, our audio engineer's standards during this pandemic while being at home and struggling with internet sound quality, etc. Man, shots fired. That that, that has been a challenge. <laughs> But my new favorite phrase is, it's a pandemic. Just got to chill out. It's a pandemic. Gary doesn't like it, though. Brent called me out for being on the podcast in the last six months, and that's because my entire scope of work has changed, um, and I haven't been planning events like I normally do. So the hardest adjustment has just been shifting my work and shifting my mindset to how to keep myself busy and how to... Um, still stay sharp at the ERLC and just different projects our whole team is working on, um, doing events and looking really far in the future. Um, but that's been a really hard adjustment for me. Yeah, I think for me, the uh, difficulty actually was 
like most pronounced even today. Uh, earlier today, I, I watched my grandmother's, my mom's mom's funeral, uh, and I watched it over Facebook Live. And that's a situation that honestly not being present with my family was, you know, something I would not have been able to imagine before this particular season came. And so I've seen so many other people share stories like that of, of events that they uh, either had to cancel or miss or live stream or totally shrink the size of and reimagine, uh, whether it's weddings or funerals or other kinds of major events. Uh, it has just changed a, a lot of things for people. And in some ways we have missed out on what, what Lindsay was talking about earlier, some of that embodied experience where, we, we want to be together. We want to be able to be uh, with one another in person to celebrate some of these huge markers in our lives. And so that's, that's definitely something for me. On a more positive note, probably, what is something that you guys are looking forward to the most after quarantine? I know, you know, for many of us here or for all of us here in, in Nashville, a lot of life has uh, started to open back up and people are able to do things again. But, you know, there's still kind of the, the specter of uh, coronavirus hanging over everything that we do. So, so when that's no longer a threat, like what are the things that you're most looking forward to? Oh, man, going back to church in person, because we're still not there yet, um, going to eat in a restaurant, because we're still not doing that as well, and then going to the movies. I want to go to the movie theater so bad. I've missed it. So, And not to see an old movie, but to see a new movie that is actually released in the theater and I didn't have to pay 30 bucks for at home. Well, speaking speaking of movies, not to jump in and answer my own question immediately, but I did get to go to the movie theater for the first time because I could not wait and I went to see Tenet. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, it lives up to the hype. I've seen some people pan the movie. I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I love basically everything that he does. This movie was epic. And I have to encourage you, if, if you're thinking, oh, maybe I'll wait, the theater experience for this movie is well worth it. Um, I'm going to say that I'm looking forward to traveling. I've been on some road trips during quarantine, like short distances, but I... I've taken a friend to the airport recently and I'm like, I just want to get on a plane. I just want to go somewhere. Like I want to, I want to go somewhere and like go to an event afterwards. Like I want to travel again. I want to have peanuts and Coke on a plane. That'd be so great. Uh, well, I would add, uh, that I'm, I'm looking forward to being back with all of y'all in the ERLC office. Oh, uh, I, yes, I know. Yeah. Do, do the, you know, requisite, oh, the sign. Yes. But I'm serious. I mean, you know, we, we've talked at various points how like we just haven't had the normal informal interactions that help either move along projects or uh, just get, you know, helpful updates about what's going on in our lives. Uh, I mean, for example, Lindsay announcing that, you know, they're, they're going to have a baby. Like that would be cause for a lot of celebration in our office. We just can't do that right now. Uh, and, and so, you know, that, that stinks. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, those days being upon us once again. And having uh, Marie and Jen's desserts when we celebrate that is, things. That is exactly where I was going with that, Lindsay, is that uh, our office tradition is that either Marie or Jen, who are both incredible, usually make the thing, whatever the food is that we, you know, use to celebrate whatever occasion it is, whether it's a birthday or, you know, a pregnancy or whatever. And so that is something that we're all missing right now. Me particularly, I'm missing Marie's cinnamon rolls. 
going off of things that we're looking forward to, what is something that you think might not come back? Like what is something that was maybe more common that may not be with us as a result of, of coronavirus for good or for ill? I was going to say movie theaters, but since the two of you have talked about that experience of being <laughs> yeah, <don't> central, <laughs> but I just feel like, well, put it this way. I feel like there will be a lot less of them. They're just there so very sad. well may be. It is sad. Uh, the benefit of the AMC deal is that you can like choose your seat ahead of time and then it marks out the seats around you so that you can do social distancing right now. Plus, when I went to the movie theater, there was no one there, which honestly made me feel better about being there. But it also makes me sad because I know that's a threat of having a lot of theaters and other things like that get shut down just because they're not, you know, taking in revenues right now uh, or that those those things are way down. Uh, I'm thinking maybe the handshake is going to be... Forever gone, bid farewell, <laughs> which my husband will be celebrating. <laughs> he's been he's been ahead of that curve for a long time. No, he shakes hands. But yeah, I just don't see people feeling as comfortable shaking hands as they were in the past. Shaking hands, offering plates at our churches. Ooh, those could be potentially on the chopping block. So this totally doesn't affect me. But I was thinking about the other day how kids might not get to experience snow days anymore because now we have all these virtual learning platforms and so now they can just do school all the time and what if kids don't get snow days anymore i just felt really sad when somebody mentioned that and i was like oh man i i don't get snow days but like what if kids never get snow days anymore because they can always do school from home that would stink yeah, I mean, snow days are basically like a rite of passage, you know, like it's a thing that as a kid, there's there's nothing better than, oh, school got canceled because there's snow. And so growing up in North Carolina where that didn't happen a lot, but if we got the least bit of snow, everything in the world was going to get shut down. People went and got their bread and milk and you would try to find a place to sled. Like, yeah, that would be really sad. Well, I was going to say, Megan, maybe, maybe the reason we won't experience uh, snow days is because, you know, Philip Bethencourt is no longer the EVP at the RLC. Like if there's a gray cloud off in the horizon in the months from, you know, December to, to March, uh, that's cause for shutting the entire organization down <laughs> because there might be some icy spots potentially on the streets. We just won't have snow at all anymore is what you're saying, which is even worse <laughs> than no snow days, that's I true. think. So before we close this out, one last question. Uh, what do you guys think, you know, as you're looking back over the last six months, and again, thinking about the fact that this is kind of a unique, hopefully, a unique time in in at least our lifetimes, what is something that you've learned about yourself or about the world uh, that has, you know, maybe been surprising or just something you've been thinking about? I think for me, one of the things that maybe the Lord has been driving home is the importance of being content with what He gives. Uh, so, you know, the Bible says contentment with godliness is great gain. And I believe the context of that is money, but of course it it can apply to many, many other things. But when the pandemic started, I realized that I struggle with what the kids call FOMO for all of those of you over 35. It's called it stands for fear of missing out. <laughs> and so, you know, you just always I just always find myself wanting that next thing. And so, and then the Lord might give it and then I want the next thing and then uh, whatever, or I'm not satisfied because uh, I'm not hanging out in this crowd or that crowd or whatever it might be. And uh, just things being simplified and slowing down just reminds me that um, 
The Lord calls me to find my joy ultimately in Him and to be content with the lot that He has given me. Psalm 16 says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You hold my lot. And it also says that the Lord is our portion and our cup. And is that true of me? Or am I looking to all these other things all the time to fill my cup? Yeah, I would I would say uh, for me, it's it's don't take for granted the the weekly rhythms that surround uh, church. I mean, I, I like all of us have, have appreciated hearing from my pastor and and being uh, in community with our our small group. But but even more than that, just like the the regular rhythm of you know seeing my fellow deacons at church, helping uh, to to serve as an usher so that folks can uh, find a place to sit. Uh, in our our sanctuary, uh, just loading up the kids in the truck after service is over and talking about what they learned in Sunday school. The Lord has really laid on my heart. Don't take these things for granted. These are important moments uh, that that help that that I am using to help shape you and your heart and the the hearts of uh, your family members. So yeah, yeah, that's really good both Lindsay and Brent. Uh, Lindsay, the Lord has definitely been teaching about me being satisfied in him. I even like have a reminder on my mirror about that in my bathroom, Um, just reminding myself of those boundary lines that he's created that are good. Um, And I had a friend a couple years ago remind me, and in a season where I was unemployed, um, she said, the Lord does not give us prolonged seasons of rest often. And she's like, work is always going to come because he designed us for work. And so those are going to come. So in this season where it's like things seem slow and we're being forced to rest and to be with family and just to slow down, like it's going to end it is going to end in that I don't need to wish it away, um, but I need to take advantage of the extra time that I have. Even just like boredom is okay. Like resting is okay to sit and to stare, to clean, like to do things um, that just slow me down is okay because that's not what the Lord designed us to do. He designed us to work. And so he's not going to let that last forever. I really appreciated those reflections. The thing that I keep coming back to during this season is is Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is my favorite psalm, and probably the best way to sum it up uh, would be that it just shows us God's power and His sovereignty over both nature and the nations. And it's, you know, it's a famous psalm. You you know certain words from it for sure, Uh, but it starts, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. As I think about this season and how unpredictable it has been. Uh, Brent has used the word capricious many times to describe uh, the outbreak of coronavirus, where it has affected people deeply, other places that it seems not to have made such an impact in the same way we think about what's going on right now in California and in the Western states with these wildfires pointing people toward the fact that God is the only one who is sovereign and in control. He's the only place where hope and security truly are found. That is the thing that that I've kept coming back to over these past few months is that uh, looking to him is the only place where we can find security, where we can find rest, where we can find hope. And so that's that's been my big reflection is uh, if you haven't read uh, Psalm 46, it is only 11 verses. I would encourage you take it and go uh, even read it today and maybe just pray through it to hopefully, you know, just to revive your soul and to remind yourself of the fact that God is in control. So we'll go ahead and wrap it there. That was a fun time just kind of looking through our 
you know, the last six months and thinking about what we've learned and what has changed. Uh, and so hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. Just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, uh, if you would, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing this episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. But for Megan, for Brent, for Lindsay, and for myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back next week with more content.